Hello there, and welcome back to the Blossom Your Awesome podcast. I am your host, Sue Dillon, and today, episode number six, a very special show for you. We have got the world-renowned spiritual teacher, Acharya Shunya, Guruji, as I like to call her. She is a scholar and teacher of Advaita, which is non-dual wisdom. She is a classically trained master of yoga and Ayurveda, and she comes from a 2,000-year-old Indian spiritual lineage. She is going to be sharing all of that with us today, and I welcome her to the show. I'm so honored. I cannot thank you enough for um, giving me this time. You have all my blessings. I'm very, um, sometimes souls hear their inner calling, you know, and they get attracted to my deeper teachings. So I always welcome, um, you might be completing some journey from some other lifetime, my dear. Okay. Um, yeah. yeah, and I just, I, I feel like I'm just blessed to have this time with you. So um, I want to ask you for, you know, I just, I think it's so special that you come from this lineage and you're like a, you're the chosen one. So can you tell me for you what that's like? Yeah, for, um, for women to be leaders in lineages is not something brand new to the Vedic tradition. In fact, in the Vedas, women were, uh, women spiritual teachers were known as Brahmavadini, and we all know the term Rishi, which means sage or seer, but we are unaware that there is also a term called Rishika, and 23 female seers have contributed to the mantras of the Vedas. So that's not a small number. So in ancient India, men and women were at par. And in fact, in the Rig Veda, we find references to women going to war leading, um, you know, infantry and uh, leading, uh, you know, legislative assemblies and uh, becoming advisors and ministers and also spiritual teachers. There are mantras where parents pray to be, to give birth to a scholarly pandita, a a daughter who knows God and can show the way to God. So I come from that tradition, but then India went through the dark ages when there were invasions and Indians lost touch with their own heritage. And especially when the elite um, empire, the Mughals, was uh, a more um, patriarchal system. So gradually the Indian women too, the Vedic women too, went not exactly on the parda, but they went into the background and the Vedas started being taught only to the males, male candidates. But my lineage uh, was fortunately um, populated not just by ordinary men, but by tremendously conscious and um, liberal and uh, truly deeply Vedic people. And so my grandfather had opened the doors to his school to the girl child long before I was born Sue. And so uh, for some reason, he chose me 
and he must have known that one day I would be doing what I do confidently, happily, and humbly. And I had um, a lot of male uh, cousins, and I also had some of his male disciples. But he chose me, he continued to groom me. And when I turned 24, he said, now you shall lead the way. But in our tradition, just because we've been told by the guru doesn't mean we suddenly announce to the whole world and you know become a star guru. I took my time. I continued to, you know, have fewer students in my life, but mostly continue to practice the spiritual wisdom in my own life to see if I could be peaceful, if I could truly live those teachings. And then at age 40, I announced that I'm available for more public teachings. And since then, there's been no looking back for my lineages, international avatar right here in California. Wow. And now can you tell me for like what advice you would have for especially with the, you know, being Indian, I'm Indian and the kind of having, uh, you know, men, women, the discrepancies even in India still for powerful women who want to do things like what advice you would have for women just I think the only, I think there's a discrepancy is very obvious in the Indian community. And unfortunately, I saw it worldwide too, just in subtle ways. And uh, the whole world uh, still panders to the great spirit in a male body more than a female body. I think the best advice I can give to any Indian woman is to now no longer be in confrontation with the male counterparts because that's just situational or circumstantial but uh, go more within and connect with their soul power and instead of talking about their power start living with power it's also important to find role models as in teachers colleagues um, where uh, there are more female centric teachers because then that just shows us a way you know we learn more by osmosis than just by memorizing something or you know learning it so when you see somebody empowered you start behaving in that manner and um, i have noticed this that whether you're indian or american or tribal it doesn't matter when any human being be it whatever sex they are come into their power from a place of peacefulness not from a confrontational place because that still shows that we are you know unsure but really hone in into who we are. And we no longer am attached to external approval or esteem. And we are just totally coming from within. We know our wholeness, our fullness, our power lives within us. The whole world starts bowing to you. That's all I have just seen that. So I'm always ready to tell the Indian women to stop, you know, living on scripts and just really quickly there are four kinds of thoughts in the vedic tradition this is my original teaching from the vedas that there is the instinctive teach thoughts you know like i'm hungry i'm lusty i'm i'm mad you know just quick reflex thoughts then there are the scripted thoughts that come from being an indian or being from an australian so indian women have a lot of scripted thoughts and we need to see wait is this a script you know, and then there is the third thought, got a deliberative thought. 
And this is where we need to be. All women need to be here or anybody even say of, you know, say of a different race or a different sexual gender, which, you know, is being ostracized. We all need to come from a deliberative place and, you know, say, you know, should I be pandering to this? Am I really a victim? What are my real choices? Should I be behaving in a certain way? Should I be defending? Should I be offensive? So it's a really a deliberative place. And when we are there more and more, we are connected with our soul power, which is equal for everyone. And then finally, this turns into spontaneous thinking, which is when you become a teacher or you become a joyful leader, because now you don't have to think it, you're flowing it, you know. So uh, for me, growing up uh, from India, though I came from an ultra-liberal family, progressive thinking family, interestingly, not modern progressive, but ancient progressive, I am still a mother and a wife and, you know, part of that Indian culture. And so what I've always done is like look at scripts and say, you know, this is a script. This may work for other people. It doesn't work for me. And then I don't let anything come between me and my freedom to not walk a script. But then I don't go to war for it. I'm very gentle. I'm a firm person. Most people don't dare contend with me. I will never raise my voice because I don't need to. My conviction is my guide. And I have now found that my presence has empowered so many Indian men and women, yeah, along with my students worldwide. So I hope that helps. That does help a lot. So just a follow-up question. For somebody who doesn't know, like, what is just a little piece of advice you could give someone to kind of start tapping into that soul power? Yeah, so I, this is a mudra for wholeness and power. And, um, you know, I would like um, anyone who needs to get in touch with themselves to go into this mudra often. And then you can't just touch it here. You actually have to think this thought. My wholeness, my power, my worth belongs to me. I own my life, I own my quest, I own my dreams, I own my no, I own my yes, I own my own life journey. And this, this plus this, the thought plus this gesture has been changing lives of my students. Okay. Thank you so much for that. Um, that was really powerful. I'm going to have to do that when I <laughs> when we finish here, but I can feel your energy is coming through my computer. <laughs> yeah. Um, so next question for you is, um, you know, for someone who's uh, like a new student or somebody who doesn't know anything about your teachings um, or just uh, Vedanta, like what is the kind of, to help them understand very simply what that is. The term is Vedic and there was a Vedic era in ancient India long before India became Hindu. So, and the Veda comes from the root Vid, which means to know. So it was a knowledge-based higher consciousness tradition. And it's it was actually known as Sanatana Dharma, the eternal tradition of what is beautiful and balanced. 
And this Veda tradition and the seers known as rishis and rishikas and yogis and yoginis, they gave birth to Ayurveda, the system of health and healing from India, which is very popular. They gave birth to yoga, which we all know. They gave birth to meditation. They gave birth to tantra. They gave birth to Jyotish, the Vedic astrology. So all these gifts from India that we know about the chakras or the mantra or, you know, all that beauty, um, without the religious dogma is coming from this Vedic tradition. And what I especially like to, so I teach all of that. Plus I especially, my favorite or the, the deepest teaching that I offer is known as Advaita or Vedanta, which is a non-dual teaching, which says that, you know, we are all sharing beyond this body and mind, which is personal for each person, but each one of us is sharing, sharing a common essence or a common self with a capital S, which is pure consciousness. So it's like, say there is an ocean and we decide we were, we're going to get the ocean in hundreds of buckets. So we take billions and billions of buckets and we bring the water from there, but the water is the same in all the buckets. So our bodies and minds are like buckets, but our true self is like the water. And we are all really at, at an inherent level one. So when we help another, we're helping ourselves. When we abuse another, we're abusing ourselves. So it's a very high invitation to live from, uh, live in duality, live where you see separate people and things, even enemies and friends, but you come from a place of non-duality. But this is really powerful because it's the truth and you connect with something deeper and bigger and beautiful. So that is Vedanta. So what I really offer is Vedic teachings and specifically this non-dual teaching of Vedanta, Ayurveda, which also uh, comes from this place of you are spirit and you can heal your body and mind through natural ways and the yoga philosophy. This is what I teach. The word Vedic is less known. The word Hindu wisdom is more known. And sometimes people call me as the teacher of Hindu wisdom, which is totally fine because Hinduism uh, is one of the religions the Veda gave birth to. But I think the Veda, the Vedic people and the Vedic ethos is responsible for so many religions, Sikhism, Buddhism, Jainism, Hinduism, and they all share the common knowledge of Dharma, Karma, you know, transmigration after death, that the body is, the soul is immortal, body is mortal. So they all carry like these common themes, which come from the ancient Upanishads, Bhagavad Gita, Brahma Sutras. These are the ancient scriptures, which contain this universal knowledge. Because I have students all over the world from every religion. And I tell them, you don't need to change your religion. When you study with me, you will just remember who you are, spirit divine. And you've just incarnated in a specific body, in a family, in a community, in a race, in a religion. And you can just be a really conscious person in that. But really the, the call of the Vedas was, you are spirit. And you're just having an experience. So now today, this has become common knowledge, but this is 10,000-year-old knowledge, and I share from that original teachings. So in a way, I'm an ambassador of that science. There have been more ambassadors of this science. I'm not the only one. But perhaps because of being trained in the original teachings, but because my father was a diplomat 
for the country and he traveled all over the world and I briefly went to visit different countries even when I was a younger person with him. I got to um, be exposed to both, you know, where I was and what was outside my community and my home and my lineage. And so I feel like I'm a very comfortable interfacer between, uh, you know, the modern and the ancient. And, um, and I don't, and I want to keep the essence, whatever is the truth. And the truth of the Veda is that it was always universal and always meant for humanity to become trustees of this planet and become a voice for those animals, plants, trees, mountains, rivers that don't have a voice, but they still represent the supreme power, you know, that the great higher power is shining through them. Wow. Um, yeah, so now, it, if I'm someone, like if I want to share with my people, if I'm someone who's struggling in life, like I just am stuck somewhere, I'm having emotional issues, whatever it is, it, what is that? How can this, where where do I start? What What should be my mindset or what is the advice you would give somebody in that place? So when we have a, a math problem, a math puzzle, and we try to solve it, then we can, then we go find a professor or a tutor for math, right? Um, so in different domains of our worldly existence, we have had to go to a counselor, a therapist, an art teacher, an arithmetic teacher, different ways. So the Veda says that um, we are more important than our physical body uh, is our intellectual and emotional body. And, you know, for us humans, you know, we're a special breed of animal and our mind is highly evolved and very complex. And it's actually meant to give us happiness. Therefore, it's the, na the name of mind in Sanskrit is sattva, which literally means happiness. It means purity. It means brilliance. It means abundance, you know? So our mind is actually a genie and it's meant to wish fulfill for us. It's meant to fulfill our wishes, but we don't know how to use it. It's like we have this amazing remote, but we're pressing its random buttons and we're getting caught up in our own subjective creation of that mind known as samsara. So if there are 7 billion humans on earth, there are actually 7 million worlds because each one of us is projecting, fuming, creating a delusory world of our own with our grievances, our anger, our projections, our imagination. So the Veda says that you go to a teacher of that tradition who can impart you that knowledge systematically and you settle down with them for a while and you just listen. So that stage is called Shravanam. Like, you know, you're just listening. And then you contemplate, and then you try to practice that. So for example, when I talked about, you know, wait, you can say, wait, is this a scripted thought? This is coming from my Indian script. This is not even me. What a relief, you know, suddenly you're, just, you're not that thought. So it's like you listen and you contemplate and you try to practice. And then this is the good news that the Veda says, you don't have to learn to be happy. You don't have to learn to be wise. You don't have to learn to be, you know, abundant. That's your true nature. 
your true nature is boundlessly blissful, abundant, and wise. And you you are, it's your birthright to be healthy and happy and wise and abundant and truly, truly blessed. Except that you've forgotten it. They call it Maya. It's like a spell that has been cast over all human minds and we're like just scratching ourselves to pain and discomfort. But when you hear this knowledge from the Upanishads and the Bhagavad Gita, things that I teach, I don't have to do much. You know, I have students who have not even met and they're just listening. And what's happening is they're remembering. This is what the Veda says. You're already everything that you need. Everything is inside you. But as you rehear this knowledge from the rishis, who received it in meditation from the Supreme. There's no author to the Vedas, by the way. So that knowledge doesn't belong to humans. It was, you know, received and it's transmitted by a teacher of the tradition to the suffering one. The suffering one recalls and remembers their own soul power, that my wholeness, my sovereignty, my abundance lives within me. And suddenly my students, I find them saying no and meaning their no and saying yes when they should be saying yes. They start writing their own script. Suddenly people who were, you know, stuck in little passive places become really big and bold. And, you know, and so what's the big deal? You are infinite, big and bold, according to the Veda. So the Veda is a very empowering science. And it doesn't say say that you have to be the guru or the teacher for the rest of your life, worshipping them or you know, bowing to them, because that's a very disempowered way of learning. If you want to learn who you are, the ultimate reality, but you can just like you go to an arithmetic tutor or you go to an art teacher, you go to a teacher of self-knowledge known as Atmagnanam. And they show when they speak, they are not going to talk about the world and how to be popular in it or how to be famous in it. They'll just tell you about you. And as you remember who you are, the world and its problems will be of a lower paradigm and your power and your potential will be much more. So it's not like, you know, my life doesn't have challenges, but I am bigger than all those challenges. And that is why, you know, I can be in life in such a tranquil and peaceful space, you know, because I have remembered who I am and that's, that's, uh, uh, and so I know that even if I'm living in a bucket, I'm still the ocean. And that's a very big difference. If you live in a bucket and you think that's it, I'm just this two liters or, you know, this one gallon or two gallons of water. And so now I'm worried about every drop of water and I'm competitive and I'm jealous and I'm envious of somebody who has three gallons of water. But if I know I'm an ocean, so it's a cognitive knowing, then, you know, I don't really care. And so I have just come from this infinite space and I've been teaching and teaching these scriptures and, you know, students are joining me and it's not like I'm busy trying to trademark my knowledge and, you know, selling it super expensive. It's like, it's just all flowing, you know, because you know that you're an ocean. So it's not like you're just trying to capture onto something and (laughs) package it and, you know, and get the world to pay your bills. And it's just, it's a whole different dimension. I can't tell you. And it's so peaceful. And anything I need, it's true. The universe just takes care of me because I am one with that higher energy of the universe. You know, the peach tree, the peach tree or the you know persimmon tree and the fig tree, I have them in my garden. They are growing fruits for everyone, not for themselves. The river is flowing water for everyone, not for itself. It's a giver. 
And when it gives, then the universe makes sure that clouds come and rain over it so that it's full. When you give, the universe takes care of you. But when we're just busy snatching and hoarding, the universe says, well, you take care of you then. So it's a very different dimension of generosity, reciprocity, trust, and, and flow. So when you say, where do I begin? You begin with knowing, discovering that I have a problem. I need a specialist. I could go to a therapist if it's a minor thing, you know, something to adjust. Or I could go to a teacher who will help me get out of my own self-created mental limitations. And that's when you go to a Vedic teacher, not necessarily to a yoga teacher or an Ayurveda teacher. You know, I have those avatars too. But then you go study Vedanta and then they will remind you that, you know, you just believed you were limited, but you are an unlimited being. And when my students have been with me for a while, I say it and as if like invisible chains seem to break away from their inner mind and suddenly they are talking back to their parents in a respectful or such a powerful way that their parents are listening to them. You know, I had this, um, I've had students from so many traditions, you know, where um, I have found universally that, for example, if a woman hits 30 and she's not married, it's not just the Indian tradition, you know. Everywhere, you know, the world says, why aren't you marrying? Why aren't you with a boyfriend? Why aren't you settled down? Or if a man, you know, is, is not earning a certain amount of money worldwide, people start poking at him, you know. So I found people so limited, so defensive, so sorrowful. And then they come and listen to someone like me or they read my books or my, or my blogs and they start getting more and more empowered. And suddenly they found out that the reason they were not married was because they had to do this whole different thing. And marriage and children were just come in the way because the higher power wanted to use them for something whole different thing, you know, and they blossom into something else. Until now, they were feeling like apologetic. And then suddenly they realized that their whole life was a designer theater for them to blossom into being a gift for this whole universe. Similarly, somebody who had probably left med school and was just, you know, hanging around, you know, being an artist, probably the divine, uh, the divine allness wanted to express divine art through that person. But now they come from an empowered place rather than a, you know, I should have done an MBA place, you know. So it, so my teachings lead to greater self-acceptance, but it doesn't happen in 30 minutes. You know, Vedic teachings are not feel-good teachings. I don't teach a package. I don't give one single mantra. And I don't believe in that kind of, you know, reduced, diluted, watered-down teachings from India as if one mantra, one 20-minute meditation, you know, or something like this is going to fix you. You know, so many people do the Buddhist meditation, you know, two times a day, for example, or they go 10 days for Vipassana camp, but they come back and within a few days, they're as gossipy, as irritated, as frustrated as ever. You know why? Because Lord Buddha or Gautam Buddha, he didn't just meditate. He had a whole wisdom tradition around how not to be sorrowful and how to connect with something deeper. How many people say they are trying to live the knowledge in their relationships, at their profession, while commuting? How many people are trying to be Buddha, you know, while they're dealing with traffic? It's so easy to sign up for a camp or, you know, just do the meditation. 
So Lord didn't, Lord Buddha didn't give like, oh yeah, here is my teaching. Twice a day meditate, two times a day, and you'll be happy. He didn't say that. Nor did the Veda. It takes, it takes an inner desire to discover that you have a problem, go to the right person, get the right knowledge, not just a band-aid knowledge, and and then use it in your life. And slowly, you know, for my students, within a day, within one teaching, because it's eternal wisdom, they see, whoa, oops, what I was believing was not true. And this is why I'm things start changing and then you know they come back and they stay and and they just they're still the same moms and dads and parents and you know executive uh, assistants or doctors and engineers but they are just empowered beings and this is how i would say problems get solved otherwise we just go round and round and we never really get off the train that's taking us in chase of ephemeral happiness, ephemeral pleasures in the world. But unfortunately, at the end of every pleasureful encounter is a sad discharge waiting for us. And that's why we need to go back and find a bliss inside us. And there is a proper method. And it begins with a teacher and it begins with patience and trust that if I found my teacher and the great power and the great supreme being, nameless and faceless, wants me finally to find, find, the ultimate treasure inside me. So I think I just found my teacher. <laughs> I've, I've had so many different teachers, but that message, I feel like you were giving that message directly to me. I mean, you were, but it's for everyone. But, um, you know, that is my life story. I'm 44. I'm single. I have no children. I know I have a deeper uh calling and I've been looking for, uh, you know, I read in a master or a, a guru and I've had ones that have misled me um, or were not what they said they were. And so I'm just really, I cannot thank you enough. I'm feeling like I'm probably going to cry after we get off this. And I just um, really would like you to be my teacher. And I, I look forward to meeting you when you come back. My teachings are for the whole world, Sue. And, you know, uh, every teacher who misled you was really doing their job. The whole world and every character in this universe, especially the ones who give us pain, are our biggest teachers because they are leading us ultimately to discern between truth and an appearance. And that's why you get honed in knowing what you really want. And any teacher who wants to possess you or keep you is not worthy of making a teacher because then the teacher is needy. But if the teacher is free and can set you free to be who you are, there is a hidden purpose for you. You're almost there, but once you connect with it through self-knowledge, everything will make sense. So I welcome you to the study of the Veda, when you say you find me as a teacher, what you are really taking refuge in is the great knowledge that ha that made uh, that has set so many people free. I'm an ambassador for that knowledge, so I welcome you. And um, this uh, knowledge has set me free. 
you know, any teacher who does not share their vulnerability is not a Vedic teacher. In our Vedic tradition, the Vedic teacher was once themselves under the bondage of the world and the senses and desires. And we thought that we get determined by our objects, the people in our life, whether I'm married or not, whether I have a child or not, whether I have a dad or mom or not, do you have a broken family or a nice, good, regular family? Do you have a family on the east side or the west side of the neighborhood, you know? So we have, we, we're aligned with our objects. And do I have a boat? Do I have a house? Do I have a car? That's how most of us are until the third relationship, which is with the self. And once we have that, then you can go back and have your relationships in your car, but you know whether they come or go. As I say, you're cool, you're good, you're whole. So yeah, it's, it's a riot. Self-discovery is falling in love with yourself. And so you come back so full and so flowing and that great divine supreme, divine allness will then begin using you for its own purpose. Okay, well, I just, uh, yeah, thank you, uh, Guruji, so much. Thank you so much. And I really, really, you're going to still be in this area when you get back, right? Because I would oh, love yeah, to. Oh, yeah, I'm not going anywhere. I'm okay. just going for two months to travel across, um, to be with my father and to travel across the river Ganga. And, you know, I like to do that, spend some solitary time. A few students will join me. And, um, Maybe in future you will travel with me to India. And, um, you know, we go to some very special places off the tourist grid so that it, it just rejuvenates me. And then when I come back, I'll be teaching again. And my classes online are available to the Yeah, I will be joining. I would love to come do some classes in person and get a, you know, meet you and touch you and have a blessing from you. Absolutely. Absolutely. My blessings to you, Sue. Thank you so much. Thank you so yeah. much. Thank you. Okay, bye-bye.